Father God, thank you, um, thank you for your mighty work of your saving work in your world. Uh, thank you for the power of your gospel to save. That as the good news of Jesus is proclaimed and shared and taught um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you bring people from darkness to light, uh, from death to eternal life in Christ. Uh, thank you for your love for this world that you have made. Uh, thank you for the scriptures, for your written word um, that uh, declares who you are and this great unfolding plan that um, is all fulfilled in your Son, our Lord Jesus. So please um, uh, speak to our hearts, soften our hearts to receive your word today. Uh, may we be encouraged and may we have a bigger and greater picture of the glory of our risen and reigning Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So Acts 6, 8 to 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandra, as well as the province of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and elders and teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was filled like the face of an angel. And then Acts seven fifty-one to 8, verse 1. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now here you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the, holy, out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he'd said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. We even had some visual lighting effects to go with this dramatic reading. It is a really dramatic reading, isn't it? Um, 
It's not exactly what you call a Christmas reading necessarily, although interestingly if you're a traditional, sort of follow the traditional church calendar, um, what we call Proclamation Day or Boxing Day is St Stephen's Day. So um, often people remember Stephen the day after they remember the birth of Jesus, which is interesting. We're going to see lots of connections actually between, um, well, uh, what happens at Christmas, Jesus coming into the world, and this amazing story um, of, uh, of, of Stephen's martyrdom. Uh, before we get there, I'm going I'm to switch modes just briefly because I do want to encourage you and talk a little bit about next Sunday. So next Sunday, uh, God willing, this will be even fuller than it is now. Um, we have lots of people uh, coming from our community for our carol service. It's always lots of fun, um, but also very meaningful as we celebrate the birth of Jesus together. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is your week to think about one or two people who you could invite along. Uh, there's, I think there's still, have we still got some um, postcards out the back? There's a few, uh, but we've been giving them out the last few uh, weeks, so you should have a postcard or two at home lying around. Um, there's online things you can invite them to as well on our Facebook page and everything. So please do think about that, and I want to uh, encourage you to think at least one person who you could invite along next week to our carols. Uh, and come dressed up in a nice Christmassy outfit if you want to. Um, it's always a great time uh, of sharing in, G- uh, in Jesus' birth and uh, also sharing in a meal afterwards together too. Okay. Um, I'm just going to pray very quickly and then we'll look at the story of Stephen together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your, your grace to us. Thank you for the wonderful gospel that has come to us and has changed our lives We thank you that it has been doing that ever since these first events uh, that we've been reading about in Acts. We thank you that your gospel is unstoppable because Jesus, our risen and reigning King, is unstoppable. And we pray that you might give us just another glimpse, a, 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 a bigger vision of Jesus today. Please, our Father, by your Spirit, cut through to each of us. I pray for each of us here, maybe visiting our kids in with us today, um, regulars here. Father, please, by your spirit, help us to see something new of Jesus today. We pray in his name. Amen. So we are thinking about this story of Stephen. He's the first martyr, uh, the first Christian martyr, the first person to be killed for believing in Jesus, um, uh, for his witness to Jesus. He was an amazing man. I hope you sort of picked that up as we read through. He was one of the seven chosen that we read about last week to these these seven men full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Um, But the important thing about Stephen was that he he wasn't actually amazing or impressive in himself. What I want to suggest to you today and what I want us to reflect on is the important thing about Stephen was that he saw where he was going or maybe better he saw who he was going to. He saw who he was going to. Um, Skip down to the end, towards almost the end of the story in 7 verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. At this key moment, it's a key moment in Stephen's life. It's actually a key moment in the life of this early church. At this key moment, God gave Stephen a glimpse of 
the unseen realm of heaven and the reality of Jesus. He sort of tore the curtain away between this world and that. The reality of Jesus, risen and reigning. And that really helps us to see who the main character is here. The main character of Stephen's amazing story is not Stephen. Um, it, it shouldn't actually be a surprise to any of us who've been here. We've kind of been banging this drum all the way through when we've been thinking about Acts. And we've been reading up to this point. Acts is all about the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus is continuing to work. He's building his kingdom through, by his spirit, through his word. And the main character of Stephen's story at this, at this point is Jesus. So I just want to reflect on, there's so much in here. Steve mentioned it's a huge um, passage that we're tackling today, we're looking through. I just want to reflect on four things this account of Stephen sort of brings out to us. Four things we see here about the risen Lord Jesus. About the risen Lord Jesus. Um, maybe you pick this up. I reckon one of the striking things about this pa these passages uh, this story of Stephen, one of the striking things is how familiar it all sounds. There's all these things about Stephen that are meant to kind of ring bells for us. Um, they're meant to remind us about someone. They're meant to remind us about Stephen's Lord. Um, so just like, just like Jesus, uh, Stephen faces this opposition. Um, but just like with Jesus, the opposition can't match him. It's, it's beautiful in verse 10. Um, they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And, and just like Jesus, they bring false witnesses against him. Um, and the charges they bring are really similar to the ones they brought against Jesus. So from, from verse 11, And they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. It's all ringing bells, isn't it? Very similar to what happened with Jesus, these false accusations against him. Uh, or, or jump down at the end of chapter 7, though. I think you see this similarity between Stephen and Jesus really remarkably there. Uh, Stephen is dying, and as he's dying, it's almost word for word what Jesus says when he died. Um, on the cross, what did Jesus pray? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As Stephen is dying, he says something incredibly similar, except he's not praying to God the Father this time, but he's, he's praying to God the Son. He's praying to Jesus himself. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he had said this, he, he fell asleep. What we're being shown all through this long passage is that Stephen was someone who had been deeply, utterly transformed from the inside out to, 
become more and more like, like his Lord, like Jesus. Um, the question is, where did that come from? What brought that transformation in Stephen about? What brought it about? It wasn't because he just saw Jesus as some really great person and he thought to himself, I've really got to work hard to become like that. I've really got to re try really hard to copy him. So I'll take what he said on the cross and sort of massage it a bit to make it, put it in my own words. You know, like, that's not what's going on. Uh, we were introduced to Stephen last week. He was one of these seven men chose, chosen to organise the practical care in this new church. Uh, we heard then that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Um, here in 6 verse 8 here, um, he is a man full of God's grace and power. Down in verse 10 we read it, that it was the Spirit that gave him wisdom as he spoke. So do you get the picture? We're getting this picture built of someone who is full, not of himself, not of his own strength, his own titanic effort to become like Jesus. He is full, not of himself, but of Jesus. Full of faith, not in himself, but in him, of trust in him. Full of his spirit, full of his grace and power. The power of God. So friends, this, this is what the risen Lord Jesus it does. By his spirit, he transforms people so that they become more and more like him. And I think that really gives us hope. It's sort of, you know, it's possible to read these stories in the New Testament. People like Stephen, he's, he's a hero, right? He's amazing, <laughs> what, what we're reading about today. But he wasn't like this because of himself. It wasn't because he was special but because Jesus is special and he trusted in Jesus and he was filled with Jesus, with his spirit, which means, do you see what that means? That same power, that same transforming spirit is available to you too, to you. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's transforming his people so that they're more and more like him. And you see that so richly in Stephen. Um, but these guys bring these kind of trumped up charges against, against Stephen. Uh, and we read it through. Uh, but then in chapter 7, we didn't read the most of what Stephen replies because it's a very long speech. Um, but Stephen basically responds to these charges. Uh, he's basically charged with two things. Back in 6 verse 13, um, we saw it there. He's charged with two things. He's charged with speaking against this special, this holy place, the temple, and he's charged with speaking against the law of Moses. And now, like all good lies, this one is nearly true. Um, we actually know the sorts of things Stephen would have been saying. Um, it's been all through Acts up to this point. So what, what, have we, what are the apostles saying? What, what, would, what can we know that Stephen would have been saying? What sorts of things? Jesus is, is the risen king of God's kingdom. He's brought in the last days when his spirit would be poured out on all his people, when they can be forgiven for their sin through Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. 
He would have been calling people like Peter did to repent, to turn from their proud, stubborn hearts, to turn and recognise their sin and turn to Jesus. Because the place to meet God now, the place to receive forgiveness, to learn how to live in God's kingdom, that place is now a person. That is now Jesus, God with us. So you don't need to go to a special place, to a place like the temple. You, you come to him. You come to him. So you can see how, can't you? Like That's the kind of themes that we've been seeing the apostles um, preaching over these chapters. You can see how um, the, these charges kind of have a, 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 a hint of reality behind them. But the lie behind them, they're false charges, we're clearly told that, and the lie behold, behind them is when they say Stephen is speaking against the temple and against the law. Now this is really important, just stick with me for a minute, because it is quite important. See, the time of the temple and Moses' law uh, did come to an end in God's plan with Jesus, but that isn't to, to say that, is not to speak against those things. It's actually to stand with them in rejoicing that Jesus has come, in seeing that they are wonderfully fulfilled in him, that everything that they were pointing towards is now here in perfection in Jesus. So to, to recognise that is not to speak against them at all, but to speak with them in glorifying Jesus. That's really at the heart of Stephen's long speech in Acts 7. It's the longest speech in Acts. We only read the last bit of it. Uh, and we don't have time to go through it in lots of detail. But he basically, Stephen goes through the whole, I really encourage you to read it if you haven't already in uh, preparing for today, but read it at home. He goes through the whole history of Israel. Um, and um, he points out that for much of Israel's history, God was with them and spoke to them and guided them and blessed them when they were away from Jerusalem, when there was no temple to speak of. So this is a kind of recurring thing that Stephen points out. 7 verse 1, Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? Verse 2, To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, you can see the kind of the urging here, he's identifying with them, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. See, see, right from the start, see what he's saying? God's glory appeared to Abraham when he was nowhere near the temple. And then verse 9 moves on to Joseph. I'm really skipping over here. Um, verse 9 moves on to talk about Joseph. And again, there's this thing coming through Joseph. God was at work through Joseph. He was with Joseph. In Egypt, in Egypt, hundreds of kilometres away from where the temple was, would end up being. Then down in verse 20, he moves on to Moses. And again, God was at work speaking to Moses. Down in verse 30, he revealed himself to Moses at the holy ground of the burning bush. And it was, it was holy ground, not because of the ground itself was special, but because God was there. And God was speaking. And that was nowhere near where the temple would end up being. Even great King David, who came up with the idea of building a temple, even he didn't have a temple 
Um, Stephen points out, it was his son Solomon who built the first temple. Uh, so there's lots of us in there, but this is a repeated theme through Peter's speech. Um, and, and he brings all of it to a head in verse 48. These wonderful um, words that lift our eyes to the majesty of God. However, the Most High does not live in houses. We can't box him in. <laughs> he does not live in houses made by human hands. You can't put God in a box. He quotes, and then he quotes from Isaiah 66, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Get the picture? Like, the earth is the kind of thing that he puts his feet up on to watch tell it. You know, like, no, no. But, you know, like, that's how awesome God is. It's his footstool. What kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord? Do you think you can... Well, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? See what Stephen's really highlighting here. Um, you, you, we can't put God in a box. Um, he was at work all through this, this period, through these people who were nowhere near the temple. And for these people he's talking to who were so focused on that, it's important they, they hear that. But from here on in, there's this sudden shift in Stephen's speech. All the way through, it's been history. Um, and if you do read through it, it's a lot of history. And you kind of, you know, you've got to kind of commit yourself to reading through it all. It's, I mean, it's, it's really wonderful, but it's a long history that Stephen says. And you think, why is he doing this? Well, he's building up. He's building up to this moment. Because right now, in the next verse, uh, well... One of the themes he's highlighted through all of that history is that God's, that, that God's true leaders that he's raised up are again and again rejected by the people. They've, they've consistently turned from God to idols. And Stephen suddenly takes the focus from the, the history of all that happening to the people standing or sitting right there in front of him. You, you say I'm against the temple and against Moses, this is what Stephen's saying to them. He's saying, you, you're, you're saying that I'm against the temple and against Moses? The holy ground of God's presence has come among you in the person of Jesus Christ. And by his Holy Spirit is present among his people here and now. The prophet like Moses has come, the one who would not only speak God's word, but who is the word made flesh? And so in verse 51, he really turns up the heat. We had this read. You stiff-necked people. Inflexible. You know, like anyone had a stiff neck? Um, it's talking about the heart, not the actual neck. It's okay if your neck is actually stiff. Um, but you, you get the picture, right? Like you stiff-necked people, um, unwilling to to hear God's word and to change in the light of it. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. See what's going on there? 
these, this Sanhedrin, these leaders, thought they were the great custodians of the temple and of the law. But it turns out they're the ones who haven't been obeying it, who haven't obeyed it, because they haven't come to Jesus. They haven't bowed to him. The righteous one who fulfills them. In fact, not only that, they betrayed and murdered him. Now, do you remember back in chapter 2, Peter's speech at Pentecost? He says something pretty similar to this, to the crowd there. And do you remember what their reaction was? They were cut to the heart when they heard this. They, re- they received it. They were absolutely shattered, cut to the heart. And they re- th- th- read 3,000 people on that day repented of their sin, were baptised and brought into Jesus' kingdom. It's such a different reaction here, right? Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I kind of always wonder what gnashing your teeth is, but I think it has to do with you know, the tension, you know, like when someone's so angry that their jaw is just tense. Maybe the teeth are being ground. You can, you can feel it radiating off them. That's the kind of impression you're supposed to have of these guys. But even here, I reckon, we're not quite sure what Stephen's fate is going to be. It's actually what he says next that kind of signs his death warrant, if you like, that seals his fate. And what he says is simply what he saw. I'll read 55 again. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. That's temple language. And saw the glory of God. That's presence of God language. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He sees this. And then he says to the people there, Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It is an amazing vision that Stephen is given here. Stephen gets this glimpse of this heavenly reality. He sees the risen Lord Jesus reigning at his Father's side. Um, He calls him the Son of Man there. The Son of Man was one of Jesus' favourite titles for himself. But I think I'm right. This is the only other time in the New Testament anyone else calls Jesus that. It's a really important um, place here. Stephen calls Jesus the Son of Man. Um, it's, It's actually a title that was taken from the Old Testament, especially a passage in Daniel chapter 7. Um, there in that chapter, this son of man is one who is given all authority and glory and sovereign power by the Ancient of Days, God the Father. Um, He's the one who is worshipped by people from every nation whose kingdom will never be destroyed. That's what sort of Daniel 7 was saying this son of man would, would, would be. And Stephen here is saying, look... It's him. It's him. Given all authority and glory and sovereign power, whose kingdom will never end. 
will never be destroyed. And that vision grips Stephen. It, it, it sort of he's entranced by it. It grips Stephen, but it enrages. It enrages the Sanhedrin, the people around him. Verse 57. It's like they, they can't even bear to hear this. They cover their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rush at him, drag him out of the city and begin to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the, young, the feet of a young man named Saul. Come to him later. But that vision, it gives Stephen grace and courage and peace even through all of that. Uh, so there, you get. I mean, it's a it's a horrible picture, right? They they're dragging him out and they're pelting him with stones. And while that's happening, what does he do? He prays. He prays to Jesus. It's as if while that's all, it's I can't. I think it's as if he's while that's all going on to him, he's still like looking up and enraptured by this vision of the of the Son of Man. Transfixed by Jesus, seeing Jesus standing and and it's like Jesus is welcoming him home. And he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirits. But he doesn't just pray for for himself, for Jesus to receive his spirit. Um, Against the wild, enraged cries of those who are killing him, he cries out too, but not in anger. He cries out in pity and in love in verse 60. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then, it's just so lovely how this is described, isn't it? Then he fell asleep. He fell asleep. That's all death is. When you know the Son of Man. When you know the Son of Man who has defeated death and is reigning now, building his kingdom until the final day, when what is, what is true in him will be made known to everyone, will be seen by all, and when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the opposition has been building all through these chapters. We've seen it sort of growing and growing and growing, and here it really does come to its head. This opposition to Jesus and his, in, and his church, his, this movement, um, it comes to its most extreme here with this brutal mob killing of Stephen. That's what it is. And yet what this vision of Jesus rem, reminded Stephen, see, the, the, it was him seeing whom he, who he was going to that just made all the difference for him. And, what it, what it, what it, and it still proclaims this to us. What it reminded him of and proclaims to us is that Jesus really is the unstoppable Lord of all. Really. He really is. Um, remember back in chapter 1, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to my father, I'm going away. And he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem, um, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And then he was taken into heaven. Well, this is like this little glimpse to let Stephen and the disciples know that, that wasn't just, he wasn't just going away, leaving them on their own. He's still there 
on the throne. He's sovereignly working all things for the building of his kingdom and for the good of his people, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of fierce fury from those who hate Jesus. And I think you actually see that really wonderfully here. See, this moment that seems so, like it seems like it's all over, right? Like right at this moment, it, it, and, and it actually gets worse. It leads to this great suffering for Jesus' people. So 8 verse 1, we're told that Saul was there. We know him as Paul, um, the great proclaimer of Jesus to the Gentiles. And we'll get to the story of Saul, Paul later on. But at this point, he's approving of their killing of Stephen. And it gets worse. On that day, um, 8 verse 1, on that, that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This seems like utter tragedy, right? It seems like all is lost for this movement that had such promise. But look at the very next verse. Verse 4. Those who had been scattered... Preached the word wherever they went. And you think, what? <laughs> like, haven't they just seen what's happened to people who do that? Well, after what, and, and don't they have Saul breathing down their necks, knocking on their doors with his sort of, you know, to drag them off to prison, destroying this church? Yes. Yes, of course they went and preached the word because they, they saw what Stephen saw, this reality. Maybe they didn't see it in person like Stephen did, but they saw in some way that reality, that Jesus really is Lord. He really is Lord now. And his rule is so unstoppable that even suffering and opposition, not only does suffering and opposition not stop his word, it actually serves to advance it. That's what we're being shown here. And isn't that just like the cross, where the worst evil brought about the greatest good? Uh, Stephen's suffering and this great persecution that followed It only served to bring about Jesus' plan as much as the people who were doing it wanted to squash Jesus and the word about him. It led to an explosion of the gospel. Now the word of his grace in the power of his spirit is spreading out just as he said it would. Well, we're going to come back next year to the next part of this um, series in Acts. At some point next year, we'll get there. Um, But these first seven chapters that we've been looking at, they really set the whole scene. Um, And as we pause now, we pause for Christmas and New Year and into next year, um, it's a time to kind of have a bit of a pause, isn't it? But I want to urge you, whether you've been here every week through this series or if you're just here for today, 
I want to urge you not to let this word lie unfruitful in you. Not to let it lie, not to kind of let it be squashed out, crowded out by Christmas or whatever else. And I want to speak a little boldly, especially if you're not yet a Christian. If you, even if you've been at church for years, but have never repented, never said, yes, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness, never asked Jesus to give you that forgiveness, to give you his Holy Spirit. Acts, what we've been looking at, is not just a nice story to kind of think about and then let flow out and sort of forget about. It is reality. Jesus really is the risen Lord of God's kingdom. He really is right now at God's right hand. And can I urge you not to be a fool like these accusers of Stephen were, stiff-necked and proud towards God. And as we kind of wrap up this series, I do want to take the opportunity to urge you to get serious, to get real with Jesus, if you never have before. You will acknowledge him one day. The only question is whether you acknowledge him joyfully now as your saviour and your, your king, your good Lord, or later you acknowledge him as your judge. He calls you to come to him now to receive his life and his love and his forgiveness for you. So do that today if you haven't. For those of us who, who have done that, who are Christians, really I think what comes out from this passage for us is, do you see what Stephen saw? Um, do you, maybe that vision has gone sort of dull for you and it just needs refocusing. Have you caught a glimpse of the awesome reality of the Son of Man, risen ascended, reigning over all things. Surely that would change you, wouldn't it? That would give you an unshakable confidence. Uh, the extent to which you had that vision of Jesus. Uh, surely it would, it would spur you on to be bold to invite someone to carols next week. Or in giving a gentle answer for the hope that is within you over your Christmas lunch. Or in making sure that as you think about next year and you make plans, that you line your priorities up with the risen and reigning king's priorities. That would make sense, wouldn't it? He is unstoppable. And he is wonderful. And in his grace, he invites you to take part in his kingdom work, to partner together so that the word of the, his gospel would keep spreading, even here. Let's pray. Let me pray. Give us, O oh God, please, we pray, by the power of your spirit, cut through to each of us today and give us a new or a fresh glimpse of our risen, reigning, beautiful, 
sovereign, powerful King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And fill us, we pray, with confidence, not in ourselves, not a a brash, proud confidence, but a joyful, humble confidence. Because in Jesus, we have been forgiven and brought into your kingdom and given your life and your love, and we have hope. Oh God, fill us with this confidence, we pray. And as we wrap up this series in Acts, may this word that we've been looking at over these weeks continue to do its work within us, we pray, by the power of your spirit. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.